Hello everyone, welcome to the episode 18 of Soul Lead Saturday. Our today's guest, Sara Nurvi. She is one of the top voices in data analytics and science space on LinkedIn, as well as she founded two educational groups. One is GLAD GLAD, which is Glamorous Ladies and Data, and second one is Data Driven Insights. She is currently working as a senior financial analyst and uh, you know, truly leading the area she is passionate about. So let's hear her career journey. How did she manage to be one of the leaders in the areas she is passionate about? So thank you so much, Sarah, for providing your time. We all are going through like tough times right now. So really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, so yeah, it's it's interesting when I talk about my career journey because I've kind of uh, mm -hmm. deviated a little bit, but also since I started my professional um, career, I've kind of stayed in a similar area, which is marketing analytics. So um, I did an undergrad in math, econ, statistics, mm -hmm. and then I did a graduate in mechanical engineering. And when I think about which part of my education I lean into quite heavily. It's really, it's really my undergrad, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of the statistics and then it's a lot of economics actually, uh -huh. um, as well as uh, mathematics. So when I think of the most practical major I ever uh, learned, it was my minor in statistics, which is, which is funny. It's like the least amount of time that I spent, but it actually becomes the most important um, uh, kind of academic background to have to bring into industry. Uh -huh. um, but yeah, so I started out at, um, at an agency doing marketing analytics and data science for social, um, basically social comments and, and things that were going on online and then transitioned into a mobile gaming company where I was also doing marketing analytics a little bit different now. We were looking at attribution. We were looking at building out lifetime value models. Um, and really understanding how to optimize our marketing budget so that we were ROI positive. Mm -hmm. And then now where I am now, we're kind of doing a lot more time series and forecasting modeling. So I've kind of had the opportunity to kind of, um, kind of build models for each, for different types of, uh, of problems that we're dealing with. One, starting out with like machine learning algorithms, then uh, doing now forecasting, um, each one of them kind of delves into a different domain and also different aspect of um, machine learning and data science and analytics. Yeah. So it truly shows me your passion. So when I saw your profile, like, you know, you have like a quite, quite like a diverse profile and then you manage to uh, bring it to the direction where you are passionate about. So you worked as different roles, actually you worked in different roles, instructor, tutor, researcher, data scientist, data analyst, and uh, in different domains as well. It is not like you continue single domain. Yeah. So um, how, like, you know, what do you enjoy the most and why kind of? What do I enjoy the most? most? Um, okay. So, so a lot of yeah, volunteering as well, actually, to mention that. Right. So um, the, the, the point in my life that I remember and um, really enjoyed the most mm -hmm. was the time when I was working at, um, at the marketing agency and mm -hmm. teaching at the same time. So I was teaching a six, during a six-month period. Mm -hmm. I was teaching at USC and doing a boot camp for um, data visualization mm -hmm. um, while I was working full-time. And um, it was interesting because there's a different type of reward and happiness that you get from going in to work and 
doing IC work and building models and looking at data sets, interacting with clients, you know, wearing all these different hats, um, and then going to a classroom, mm-hmm. right, and kind of having an impact on students' lives who want to make a career change or are starting out their careers. And it's just two very different types of rewards and happiness that you get. As um, So from my perspective, it's, it's really this combination of both. I don't like one or the other. I think it's really nice to have both. And even at the same time around, like right before I think I started teaching, I was doing a lot of machine learning meetups at Ticketmaster. That was also really uh, like amazing and fun. Um, just connecting with people, learning from people's experience. I think the big one of the biggest things that I see is that sometimes we have like somewhat of an ego. We think that we know more than other people do. But like the thing that I learned in my classroom, for example, is that like I can bring to the table a little the technical uh, perspective and kind of a little bit of color on how the algorithms that we were learning and the tools that we were learning inside the classroom could relate to industry. Mm-hmm. But then I saw all like all of my students were bringing in different backgrounds, right? Some of them were coming from healthcare. Uh, some of them were coming from, you know, energy, and they had all these different perspectives to bring. And so actually during my, during our classroom meetings, I would set aside five, like five to 10 minutes for each student to come and just talk to us about their background and what they, like the things that they do outside of the classroom that all of us can learn from. So again, like everything that I've done, I think has kind of uh, played into some some piece of happiness that I get from doing these things, right? Yeah. So, um, but yeah, t- teaching is really rewarding. Connecting with people is really rewarding. And so I think if I was to lean on one of them, I think that's the one I would choose to say that like, that, that brings me a lot of happiness. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. And very important point. Actually, you mentioned that, you know, always give like space to other people as well to share their knowledge so that you will also right. learn more from their insights. Sometimes it happens, always people get into the egoistic part and then, you know, forget about they are losing something uh, to have that kind of expertise. So this is very, very important point to learn. Moving to the next question is like, you truly leading the area, like, you know, you are working in the data space quite long time. And then now you do lots of volunteering also and encouraging people as well as specifically the women as well to, uh, you know, divert into this space and how you can help them. So, um, how did you see this as your passion? Like, you know, how you took the steps actually to pursue that passion, but when did you realize and started pursuing that? Uh, So the passion for math was a long time ago, and that kind of drove me into kind of a step. I never planned to be where I am now. Um, A lot of it, it was just my own desire Mm -hmm. to, to fulfill a passion of mine, which was problem solving, right? I think a lot of us share in this um, in this sentiment where we just love to be approached by a problem and then find out a solution for it, right? And so the underlying commonality of everything that I've pursued in my life has been really fulfilling that um, that that need and that desire to just find a, see a problem and then analyze it and come up with a solution for it. Mm-hmm. So um, throughout, 
throughout. I just, I, yeah, I never planned anything. It's just been mostly the passion started young, I guess. Like I could be doing anything as long as it was really following this, this kind of problem solving, uh, yeah. you know, met, uh, yeah, so definitely that like you found your strength actually and diverted it towards your passion and that way it helps you to pursue that as well. Right. I think also what, what I noticed is that because I could have gone the engineering route, like I could have gone into an energy plan and started working as an engineer. Mm-hmm. But I think what I enjoyed about being in data science specifically because I had it was basically I had that option, right? I could lean into my graduate degree or I could lean into my undergrad or I could use some combination of both. And what I realized is that the culture of like tech (laughs) is just so fun. Like you're around people who are all like, especially I started, my first job was at a startup and everyone's like young, excited. Like there's, you get to wear so many hats, like, you're building things from the ground up. And so really at that point, when I started at, um, you know, at, at that startup, I was like, I loved it. I was like, the culture and the work is just so great that there's no way I can't, that I don't see myself doing this for a long time, right? Yeah, that's definitely a value add point actually, that when you get uh, to handle multiple roles, right. uh, you learn more. So you are like wearing different shoes in the organization if it is small and you grow further actually in a faster scale rather than, you know, growing slow. 100%. Always get that space. Uh, Moving to your roles, actually, you had worked as data scientist for the Fox and then you moved towards a data analyst. So how would you differentiate the roles and responsibility of role data analyst and data scientist? So, so this one's a tough one because I think the data science and data analytics space is just, you know, it it depends on the company that you're with to how they define it. And even how they define it may or may not be consistent with the overall industry. There's no standardization, right? Mm -hmm. So um, what's interesting about this is like, I see people who are doing analytics calling themselves data scientists and vice versa, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, Really, when I think of when I think of my own definitions, right? It's very subjective, but when I think of my own definitions of the kind of um, the difference between the two, mm-hmm. the analytics is mostly um, it's like a softer version of what a data scientist would be. Um, it would be some. It would be a lot of uh, understanding the tools. So you know, some knowledge. Well, definitely knowledge of SQL, knowledge of Python, etc. But then if you were to, and then some model building, and then if you were to take it a step further, you'd have those with PhDs who really can build algorithms from the ground up or really understand how to tune them in order to create production level models, right? Mm-hmm. So really, I think that it's a continuum, right? You'd have, you'd start out as a data analyst and you'd end up at a, as a data scientist. I think that transition can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of my own, my own experience, I've held data, data analyst roles when I was doing very much the job of a data scientist. So like, but then again, it depends on whether you're at a small company, a medium-sized company, a large company to how they'll differentiate that and make uh, these divisions between teams. So, 
yeah that's very useful then moving towards the next question is about your uh, one of the educational group that you founded for women actually which is glamorous ladies and data so anything interesting that you would like to share around that so yeah i've been thinking about glad for um for for a little bit of time recently um so i started it sometime back in, in like early 2019 i spent my winter break building the website building the back end uh to hold kind of all of the information for the mentees the mentors i got a lot of momentum mm -hmm. set up and we did several sessions um where it was mostly like podcast like um sessions where I'd put together topics and we'd sit and talk about it. And I had a lot of really great mentors who would come and join me. And it was a lot of fun. Um, and the, the momentum kind of died out and I'm, I kind of regret that, but I think there's always opportunity to bring it back because especially in a time right, like now, I think, the value of interaction, even if it is, you know, virtual is becoming more and more important and knowing how to have value online and learn from each other is super important. And a passion of mine has always been encouraging more women and having support for women uh, to be able to kind of see themselves in the industry, regardless of how challenging it might be from a technical perspective or from a cultural perspective, right? Just understanding their, their environments and getting acclimated and not feeling like they're getting pushed out. And I feel like there's a lot of um, really great conversations that we can have to support each other and make sure that we're encouraging more women to, to, be, to get into and stay in tech. So um, I hope to bring it back. It was mostly just really great dynamic conversations that we were having across the globe. Um, great, so, yeah, if I bring it back, I'd love to bring you on and, and have some really great... Yeah, uh, the name itself is very catchy, first thing. And second thing is it's a lot more encouragement to the women to enter into this field. Already there are lots of women actually working in the data space. Yeah. Uh, and bringing it and making it is like a community is very important. You know, so it's a very like, you know, congratulations on that part, actually, to you Thank that you. you started it. And that is a great initiative, I feel. Uh, moving to the next question is around your um, skills or something. So any kind of a programming language or tool that you prefer always or it's your favorite. Right. So <laughs> this one's funny because I go, I really hop back and forth between Python and R especially more recently with um, the time series forecasting. Um, so I've been leaning on a book, uh, uh, Forecasting Principles, uh, Principles and Practice by Professor Heidman, and he does all of his stuff in R. So it's just easier to follow along and kind of develop models um, in R, especially with um, causal impact models and um, other time series forecasting packages are just really great to use in R. Mm -hmm. But when I think of web scraping or when I think of automation, I really lean on Python for that. Mm -hmm. So depending on what I'm doing and what I'm, where my end uh, like integration will be mm -hmm. or how it's going to get scheduled, like I think of end to end, right? Like where's my data ingestion coming from and then where is the final output ending up? And depending on what the answers are to those questions, I'll choose one or the other. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. yeah. so, yeah, I think it's good to know both. 
and understand how to leverage um, both languages. But yeah, and, and it just depends on the use case to where, um, to what kind of makes more sense. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing actually. That would be definitely useful for the audience as well to check that book and you know follow along. Uh, right. So uh, moving towards the next question about your data scientist role uh, in a different domain actually. Now you are completely aligned towards the finance industry. So uh, any kind of a useful insight or anything that you learned uh, being a data scientist? Um, so I think one of the, one of the most important things that I think we've kind of highlighted a lot, um, on LinkedIn, the community there tends to be pretty active about kind of highlighting the important things. And we've done many webinars and stuff about like communication, um, being important and kind of understanding the technical side. But I think more and more I start to realize, and I know we talk about this as well as how important understanding the domain that you're in. Sometimes the domain knowledge can actually be more important than um, kind of the, the things that come after that, right? Mm -hmm. So when I'm stepping into uh, a role, it's really important to understand the different moving parts and understanding. So like if there's different categories of sales, right? So there's, and sorry, different verticals, there's different seasonality that comes with different industries. And so understanding those industries very well and understanding how your model or your data is going to look and behave according to what you understand about the domain is super important. So uh, when, when we're thinking about like interviewing and having passions for different um, industries, I think it's important to know like, okay, I want to get into healthcare. Like how much do I understand about healthcare before I believe that I can go into their data sets and their databases and actually come up with anything useful, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so. Yeah, definitely actually, because a couple of my prior interviews when I did it with the data scientist, they always said that, you know, there is a gap always. Uh, data scientist doesn't know the domain. Right. And domain expert doesn't know the data science. Exactly. It's kind of a hurdle between the in, the in the organization as well when it comes to defining the role. Right. And I've noticed that as well. And that's why I feel also very um, fortunate because we work really close with our sales teams. Uh -huh. So it, in phys physical location, we're very close, right? It is very different if you're across buildings from someone and you're like, uh, you're the data scientist and you're like your client or, you know, the domain that, domain expertise experts are somewhere in a different building, maybe a mile away, right? Versus you be getting up and just walking over to them and just saying like, hey, I see this like outlier, like, can you explain what happened there, right? So it'll be interesting now though, now, <laughs> you know, in the state of the world right now, we don't, we actually are very physically distant. So leveraging online communication and really being very on top of the communication aspect between yourself and the domain expert is super important, right? So. Yes. And I agree on that point, actually. Moving to the next question is around your research. You work, worked as a researcher as well. So would you like to share your experience? Uh, sure. So when, um, for the research, are you talking about my, during my graduate? Yeah. Sure. So <laughs> that was actually a fun project. So we were looking at um, developing cheap uh, energy storage, right? So in order to make renewable energy as uh, competitive as coal and and other and natural gas, mm -hmm. essentially we have to find a way to store and 
transport energy, uh, renewable energy. So you have these solar power plants that are producing a lot of energy during the day, but then during the night you lose that energy unless you're able to store it efficiently and cheaply. So the idea was to come up with, um, to find material that could hold uh, kind of heat. And so we looked into concrete and we looked at different designs that would allow us to essentially hold a lot of energy um, and, then, and then insulate it and keep it and then transport it. So um, that was really fun. I thought I would end up in energy uh, <laughs> uh, and I love pretty interesting actually i don't have the exposure towards that domain at all yeah it, it some of the best uh academic uh research and just general learning that i ever did i really 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 enjoyed uh the material that we learned in mechanical engineering so um yeah my specialization was in heat and mass transfer and that was just the most interesting concepts uh that I ever learned but yeah it's all a lot of it's long gone for me because I'm not, <laughs> not, I'm, not yeah, I'm not in that domain anymore so um, it's fun to think about that the research is what sticks with me because I really enjoyed that piece of my graduate studies but um, and I wish I could have been in power cycles because I really enjoyed them but I what I do now I wouldn't change it for the world so Thing I would say that you know uh, the way you switch the domains or the roles as well or try different things it is like you shown that flexibility as well that you can get molded into the any roles so yeah. the way you mentioned that you got into the startup first and you get an, got an opportunity to wear the different hats so definitely that is something which is useful for the people to learn that you know uh, it is very very important when it comes to any technology being flexible and open to learnings is important as yeah so thank you so much for sharing. Uh, moving towards the data side, when it comes to analyzing any data set, what is your approach or what are the important things that you always look into? Right. Analyzing. So I think looking high level at um, my first things are just, I mean, loading the data, looking at how much data I have and like just general summary statistics and then any outlier detection. But then also prior to like actually doing the like the investigation and the exploration, I like to talk to whoever owns it because understanding how the data was collected, where it was ingested from, if it was appended with any other data, like everything from start to finish before I start dealing with it, mm -hmm. it's a lot of headache once you start diving into it because you uncover these things as you're going and you might as well know that up front. It's possible you do an entire analysis and then you're like, wait, there was a piece that I didn't even understand. There was context that I needed that I didn't have in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes, you know, when you initially start a job, which I, which I can talk to this, like I, I thought I completely failed something in the beginning and yeah. it was because that's I part of success. So that's why. Right. <laughs> and it's okay to fail. Like I felt, I was like, oh my God, I totally messed up. And it's cause I like, pulled the data wrong, but it's because I like, I'd been so used to Looker, uh, sorry, I'd been so used to using Tableau and then I moved to Looker. And then once I'm in Looker, I don't like, there was a checkbox that I forgot. And <laughs> anyway, so it's like, I pulled the data wrong, did the analysis wrong. And so uh, at that point I was like, oh my God, I mean, it wasn't mission critical. So like I had time to revise it, but like, 
that's the most important piece, right? It's like you pulled the data, understanding where it came from and then how it's being utilized, the context of the problem you're trying to solve, mm -hmm. and then whether or not your data is reliable, right? So when I pulled that data set, I mean, I, I pulled it wrong and it's because I didn't understand the context well enough, right? So I'm looking at the numbers and I'm like, well, that seems reasonable, right? Yeah. <laughs> from, from a gut standpoint, I'm like, okay, that seems reasonable, but then, I didn't have the complete data set and so it was it was partial right so um so i think my most important thing like the, the most important thing that i try to do now is like make sure that i that i understand everything leading up to the data being in my hands mm -hmm. and then proceeding with you know general summary statistics you know looking at the distributions understanding where there's outliers understanding why there's outliers how to explain them incorporate them into your model if you need to um, and then you know depending on what you're doing just continuing with you know either visualizations or models or whatever so yeah so uh, thank you so much for sharing and uh, moving towards one more educational group that you founded was data-driven insights right um, do you like to share more about it and ask people to join that group maybe <laughs> Sure, yeah. So I started data-driven insights as an extension of what I was doing through Learn Teach Code. Mm -hmm. So when I was so I was living in LA and I was working out here for an agency. And when I was here, I was partnering with Learn Teach Code and I had a different meetup. It was called Machine Learning in Today's World. Mm -hmm. And I did a lot of I think for a year, year and a half, I did meetups at Ticketmaster. And that was just a great success. I was video streaming all of uh, the meetups, so they're all online if you wanted to look them up through my GitHub. Um, I have a meetups uh, repo and it has all the vi the videos, it has all of the material that I did through, um, through that meetup. And then when I moved to Orange County, I, uh, I felt like I wanted to bring the same kind of environment of networking and share and knowledge sharing to Orange County. And I wanted to create a community there of mm -hmm. people who wanted to learn and um, kind of keep the momentum going. So I started Data Driven Insights as a way of creating kind of an LH, uh, an Orange County chapter of something similar to what I was doing in LA. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's where Data Driven Insights came from, but it was the same kind of setup of just, here's a project I'm working on, here's the theory behind it, here's the practical application, let's go through some coding uh, examples, and then kind of, you know, allow people to just connect with their peers in this, in the space. Yeah. So, uh, so and, you're truly leading your passion, actually, you brought like lots of good uh, points in this uh, interview, actually, I would say, because you mentioned about the meetups, you mentioned about lots of volunteering and, you know, bringing the building the community across, you know, to learn the things and making it more simpler way and collaborative. So thank you so much, actually. And uh, truly, I can see the leader inside you. So what is your leadership style? I understood a couple of things, but uh, I would like to listen more like, you know, any leader that you follow or what is your leadership style? So, um, so my leadership style, I think, comes through, it's best shown through how I was as an instructor. Mm -hmm. um, it's a lot of kind of guidance, guidance of like, here are the general principles, here's um, kind of uh, an approach, but then also allowing for a two-way street, right? When you're a manager, when you're a leader, mm -hmm. you're 
you're guiding, but you're also learning, right? Even as a mentor, if you think of it that way, right? A mentor, mentee, it's not a one-way street. You can never think of it that way. It's a two-way street. And so um, I think that there's knowledge to be gained both ways, but mostly when, you know, you have someone looking uh, for guidance or whatever, um, it would be mostly just kind of giving them advice and leading them in the right direction, but also allowing them to uncover things that you may learn from as well. Um, there's a lot of leaders that I've seen where they're, uh, people that they're leading actually become more successful and not, you know, being happy for them and seeing that kind of the principles that you've given them have allowed them to flourish and become more successful is a testament to how great your leadership skills are. And so um, being happy for people and motivating and supporting them is super important. Um, I love, I mean, I, I listen to some of Sheryl Sandberg's stuff and I really enjoy her as a leader, especially as a woman who's strong, who put together a lot of groups for um, Lean In. Mm -hmm. So I've really enjoyed kind of listening to her as well as other very influential um you know, women CEOs and leaders. So I try to listen to Masters of Scale. I don't know if you listen to Reed Hoffman's Masters of Scale. It's one of my favorite podcasts. I need to hear actually. Yeah, there's a lot of really great stories of um, kind of, uh, I forget her name now, but the woman who uh, kind of built the Spanx company. She's great. I love her podcast. If you want to listen to her journey, it's amazing. Yeah. There's a lot of really great content of women who've kind of struggled or had like different visions and everyone's journey is so different. And just like hearing and connecting those dots and having them be like a subconscious thing. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't have to be that you act on something you heard tomorrow, but like subconsciously you'll start thinking about it. Right. Mm -hmm. So she's like, I always wanted to be on Oprah. Like, she's like, I always wanted to, I always envisioned myself on Oprah. Like she didn't do anything to like make that happen. Like she, she eventually did. Right. But it was in her subconscious. It wasn't like she was actively saying, Oh, like reaching out to Oprah. Like she just said, I want to do something amazing. That'll get me on Oprah one day. And then she invented Spanx and then like <laughs> ended up on Oprah. So <laughs> I need to definitely check it out actually. So right. I Today itself, that is the first thing to do now after this podcast. Yeah. Um, so moving to the next question is about any kind of online courses or books you would like to recommend to the audience. Right. So I read a lot nowadays, um, not very technical books. Uh, the one technical book that I was following was the, the one that I mentioned earlier, which was Forecasting Principles and Practice, because I'm doing a lot of that more recently. Um but in, in terms of just like general reading, like I read The Alchemist, I know way too late guys, like, <laughs> but I read The Alchemist not too long ago, which was amazing. I'm also reading a really good book called Originals by Adam Grant, mm -hmm. which is an amazing book about how um, ideas get created and mm -hmm. kind of just the, the, the history of why maybe we would think and associate more original ideas coming from men, but like kind of when around that time that ideas get created, which is kind of in your later, like in your thirties and forties, but women were, you know, caring for kids at the time. So <laughs> but like now I feel like things are moving more towards kind of inequality where women mm -hmm. and men are spending good amounts of time in their, uh, in their later years kind of developing and being original. And it comes a lot, uh, it comes down to just the, the 
the pure number of ideas that you come up with and the probability of one, one of them being original is higher with, you know, depending on how many new ideas that you come up with. And there's ways that you can kind of, um, they do a lot of research on like how different managers or whatever coming from different perspectives allow you to evaluate ideas as original or not original. So it's really, it's a really fun book. Um, they go into different case studies and I think it would be interesting if you guys want to read it. Yeah, sure. Actually, I will also check out and I will encourage audience as well to do that. Uh, any tips or advice that you would like to give to the people actually who are looking to grow in their data profession or the students actually who are looking to get into this field? Sure. I think the biggest one that pops into my head is just especially with how things are going now is just to be patient. Um, I think, you know, lean into your strengths Mm -hmm. and understand where you want to grow and what industry you want to make an impact in, but also give yourself time uh, and, and be patient with the process because all it really takes is one company giving you a chance, right? Mm -hmm. Once you're able to get that one job, your career will be fine. Right. Um, but it's just getting your foot through the door. And sometimes that's the point where people may get discouraged. Right. Like they may have um, a resume put together and they may be interviewing for a lot of jobs and, you know, maybe not not seeing a lot of uh, success yet. And so taking the time to just say, hey, this is this is a long term goal that I'm putting for myself. Right. And it doesn't have to happen tomorrow, but every day I'm going to work to get myself a little bit closer to kind of achieving that without getting discouraged. So give yourself small wins, right? Like if you apply to a certain number of jobs, count that as a win. Yeah, actually, <laughs> that is very true. And it's very, very like, you know, good advice to have. Because a lot right. of time, like just because of the job application process and everything, people get discouraged. Right. But that is when, yeah, that is the way you look into the things actually. So I think also it's like a way of differentiating the people who are, it's almost like a weeding out process. You know, in college, you're a freshman and you go into the hardest bio class or the hardest math class. And it's supposed to be a weeder class because it's going to say, who's going to work hard enough to stay and continue in this major and who's going to uh, just get frustrated and drop out, right? Mm -hmm. And so that whole process of getting yourself through the door is almost like a weeder process. It's saying, who's passionate enough to be in this field? Who's going to wait out this long process of, uh, of interviews, of rejections, of, you know, like, working like iterating on your resume iterating on your you know your ability to you know your case study um you know presentations like all of that stuff and if you're able to get through it and finally get yourself in the door it means okay like yeah. <laughs> you belong here that's good you know um but yeah so anytime i see people whether they're transitioning into data science or any other life transition right it's hard mm. and it's going to, you know, be a lot emotionally to deal with. It's not just the technical aspect of, hey, I want to build my portfolio and I want to show that I'm capable. Mm -hmm. It's can you deal with the emotional side of it of, hey, you know, like I need to put myself out there, make myself vulnerable and be okay with, you know, potential rejections and look at that as a place, 
as a way of catapulting yourself into, you know, iterating to get better, right? It's like, okay, how do you take that failure, learn from it, uh, get some feedback if they give it to you, and then leverage that into, you know, the next interview or the next, yeah. So you are very, very wise, I guess, at the young age. And thank you so much being my guest and bringing a lot of energy actually on this podcast. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. And hope audience, you will also enjoy this episode because she has a lot more unique things and unique skills to share with you guys. So until we meet, happy leading. Let's live together. Bye. Bye. Thank you.